0: Well, we'll go with it. If you have your Bibles, um, we'll be in Acts chapter sixteen. Acts chapter sixteen is where we will be. Um, so, as you have those, I'm turning there. Um, last week we just uh, check, check. No, I got excited for a second. Sorry. I was like, yeah, I know we go. Um, okay, so last week we we talked about what it looks like um, for God's people to love each other, love one another in such a way, and uh, especially in the way that we do relationships. So uh, we were kind of in the book of Acts, as we kind of coattailed on what we see happen at the very end of Acts chapter 15, uh, as as Paul and Barnabas have this, I think it says, sharp disagreement. So what it lets us know is that there's some uh, great emotion involved in that. There's a a breakup between the two of those men who love God very, very much, Um, and it happens over the reality of John Mark. Um, And so if you've missed that talk, you can go back and see it as we chatted about last week but what we did was this is we walked out what it looks like to do relationship well with one another for us as believers how we do relationship should look vastly different than the way the world looks whenever they do relationship and so we uh, we talked about the whole motive of the way we do relationship has to be rooted in the reality of love It has to be rooted in us loving each other well, the way that Christ has loved us, that agape type love. And so we we talked deeply about that, how the world would know that we belong to Jesus is the way that we love one another. And so we need to walk that out, live that out well. And then we also talked about um, once issues do arise in relationship, how we handle those. And we do it in a way of humility. So, so it's always one of those things, before we approach someone else, we look at ourself first, we check self first to see what's going on in our life, and then after we have done that, now we approach, now we uh, engage uh, other believers, other people, and we do it out of love, having checked our heart. And then we finally worked our way down to uh, Matthew 18 where it talks about how we handle, how we handle stuff in the church, how, how we handle issues within the church between believers, and how we go one-on-one, Uh, because we love each other enough to approach each other. And so we walk that out uh, one-on-one. If that doesn't work, then we take a group of two to three with us to approach them. And it's not uh, get some people that don't really like them and pull them in and go after them. No, it's get people who love them and are committed to them as well. And then if that doesn't work, you take it before the church. Um, And I made the statement that taking it before the church doesn't necessarily mean that you bring people in here and put their name up on the board or you throw them in front of everybody. It's not about um, humiliating them. It's about restoring them. It's about them seeing the fault in their life, the struggle in their life, and for repentance to happen. And so the way that we will walk that out here in this church, there may be a day we have to bring someone before the church here, but how that will play itself out primarily will be in small group. And if that doesn't work, then we will bring in pastoral leadership in that regard. And so like I said, if you've missed any of that, you can check it out. But it's all done in love. And so just imagine what it would have been like. Paul and Barnabas if they'd have walked that out and modeled that how God could have used that in a in a major major way but today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how God establishes and starts a church through some people that you would have never imagined would have been a part of a church plant how he's going to rescue and redeem people who you would have never imagined that he could rescue and redeem and so I'm going to ask you this morning if you would join me as we pray and then we'll jump into our scripture Acts chapter 16 but let's let's pray God love you Lord Jesus, just thank you and praise you for this morning. God, thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people. Um, God, I'm just going to confess for a moment. I'm daggum aggravated. Um, just it seems like everything is falling apart and my heart can get off kilter and my attention can be drawn away. So I, God, I pray. This morning in this moment that you would reel me back in god that you would help me focus god that you would help me to walk through your word god that your holy spirit would just invade this place and do a work god i don't i don't know what you have planned god i don't know what your desire is this morning in this place but god we are praying like crazy that you would save the lost god that you would convict those that are in sin god you would encourage those that are hurting god we just pray that you move in a mighty way in this place this morning for your glory for our good God, do work here. God, as we look at your story of your church and God, the things that you've accomplished and done in this world. Jesus, we pray that you move. God, help us hear from you. In the name we pray, amen. All right, Acts chapter 16. To kind of get you caught up on what's happening in the known world at this time, uh, by, by 325 AD, Christianity has spread like crazy. Uh, there has been so many believers that have come uh, to know Christ. Scholars would say that over half of the Roman Empire had become Christians at this point. And, and all of that, think about that. All of that started with how many people, 12 guys on a hillside. It started with 12 of Jesus' disciples who had no power, who had no money, who had no endowment who had no uh, uh, publicity, who had no celebrity recognition, nothing, just 12 average guys on the side of a hill that God empowers in a mighty way. They, they, all that they had was just a conviction, an absolute conviction of who Jesus was and what he had done, that he had risen from the dead. And then they have this strange power by way of the Holy Spirit that's just poured into them. And as that power is poured into them, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to them and poured into them and and gives them this, this boldness to speak and proclaim and do things outside of themselves. And so what God is teaching us through the book of Acts is that the key was that every person, not just a handful of specialized apostles, get to carry the message of Jesus but it's, but it's inclusive, it's for everybody everywhere, and, and that once we come to faith, our job, our responsibility, our calling is to now do the same thing, to take that message and to share and tell as many people as we possibly can. And so the word for that is called evangelism. And so what we know about the believers at this time, what we know about the apostles at this time is they evangelized as they went. They evangelize. So what is evangelism? Evangelism is just simply this, sharing the good news of Jesus It's sharing the gospel. Uh, Evangelism is is telling people of who Jesus Christ is. So those people in your circle of influence, in your sphere of life, it's letting them know about Jesus. It's letting uh, the random stranger know about Christ. It's about living him out. It's about speaking the name of Jesus. It's about telling your story. Your salvation story, how Jesus has rescued you and how Jesus has saved you from sin, what he's done in your life, who you used to be to who you are now, that's the heart of what evangelism is, It's letting people know who Jesus Christ is. And so my question for us this morning is, what does evangelism look like by normal people? By just our, our average person, what does that look like? Because I believe in Acts 16 here, it's going to give us a picture of what ordinary evangelism looks like, what it looks like lived out. And so what we're going to look at is just three conversations. What we'll see here in the scriptures, Timothy has joined Paul. He is with them now. He's picked him up. You've got Paul and Silas and Timothy has joined them. And they're on their second missionary journey. And what happens is they end up in Philippi by way of a vision from God. God speaks to Paul and says, hey, I need you to go to this place. And as you go to this place, Philippi, I need you to, to preach and proclaim the gospel. So we're going to pick up in Acts 16, verse 12. Our first conversation takes place here. 1612, it says, and, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of uh, Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Uh, let that sink in for just a second. So, so she's outside the city by the river she's she's out there she's a, a a seller of purple goods and so she's a worshiper of God and then listen to what happens here it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul so what we know what do we know about Lydia who was she who is she she's a, she's a wealthy businesswoman she's a successful businesswoman in a day where women aren't usually successful in this area think like this put together she's brilliant she's driven well-known well-respected And what else we see from these verses is this, she's religious. She's at a prayer meeting for goodness sakes, right? But what we do know, she's not a Christ follower. The scriptures let us know that. Here too, it says this, that the Lord opened her heart. So she's not a Christ follower this time, she's just down by the river, this prayer meeting service, doing her thing, hearing hearing whatever's being said, participating and praying, all of these kinds of things. So how does God save her? How does God engage her? What does he do? What we see in the scriptures, this is that Paul engages her, essentially in an evangelistic Bible study. While he's speaking, God opens her heart. God opens her heart in this moment. Look at verse 14 again, the very last part of it. It said that the Lord opened her heart to do what? Pay attention to what was said by Paul. What do we know about Paul? What does Paul speak of? What does Paul say? Paul says everything about who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us. The cross is the primary message of, the, of, who, of what Paul speaks, of what Paul tells everyone. I mean, you, you can't take this guy anywhere without him engaging people centered around the reality of what the cross is, around the reality of what the gospel is. So he engages her. And so there's a word here that just jumps out. And in its original language, its original meaning, I think really pulls us in and lets us know what's taking place. It says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. See, here in the original language, the picture here for pay attention is a word that is used for addiction to alcohol. And so what do we know about that? Is that there's a craving that, that happens there. And so it's, it's saying this, is that, is that as, as Paul begins to speak, as Paul begins to share, as Paul begins to, uh, to tell of who this Jesus Christ is, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this craving that starts to happen within her there's something that's missing there's this longing yearning for something greater for something more and as as we see in the scripture here Paul just starts to to share who Jesus is I can imagine that's his his simplistic uh, message of the gospel and as he does that the Holy Spirit opens up her heart and helps her to realize and recognize that there's a greater need in her life greater need in her life for that of Jesus and so the reality is this is some of you here this morning were maybe like that Maybe that's your story. Maybe you're just doing the church thing, thinking you're okay. And God, in His grace and mercy, allows you to realize that just because you're doing the religious stuff, maybe praying a little bit, maybe you know a few verses, maybe you've been on the trips, got the t shirts, all those kinds of things, that maybe in God's grace and goodness, He awakens you to the reality that just because you do stuff for Him doesn't necessarily mean that you know Him that you have relationship with him. And so what God does in this moment is awakens her to the reality that she doesn't belong to Jesus, that she's down there doing the religious things but doesn't have the heart behind the religious things. So in God's grace, he opens up her eyes and her heart to the reality that she needs relationship with him. See, just because you do this stuff with no desire and affection and love and devotion to Jesus doesn't make you his it's relationship with him this is a lot like my story me uh, at vacation bible school at the ripe old age of 11 I'm kind of there doing my thing right as an 11 year old vacation bible school doing it we've got vacation bible school coming up soon and our heart is as we pray for that as we prepare for that that God would rescue these kids and make uh, uh, awaken them to the reality of their need for him and so me as an 11 year old I'm there for the kool-aids and the cookies man that's what I'm there for right the best part of VBS that and listen they were offering a free goldfish at the end of the week to one lucky participant and so with my personality I can get up in front of people I can say some stuff so I memorized a few of the verses didn't care what they meant had no idea what it even meant just memorized it so I could get up there I even sang a solo and this boy don't sing I sing solo nobody can hears it you know what I'm saying And so, so, but I even sing the solo at 11, again, personality, I did all that stuff, was there for the cookies, Kool-Aid, and the goldfish. And guess who won the goldfish? This kid. And what kind of church gives you a goldfish that dies after a week? (laughs) Uh, Whatever they'll do to get you there, right? But what happened that week that I was unaware of was this, is that God was gonna do exactly to me what he did to Lydia. He was gonna awaken me to the reality of my need for him. I mean, I knew some verses, we went to church some, I mean, I could quote the John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, and I was really good at this one. John eleven thirty five, the smallest, shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Like I knew that one. Like I'm good. I mean, we've been to church. I've been to VBSs before, and for some reason, for whatever reason, God decided to interrupt my summer with the reality that I needed Him, that I was in desperate need of a Savior. And so as I read this story, as I think about the story, and I just absolutely love the story that God allows to be recorded here in the book of Acts chapter 16. I just love these three stories, these three conversations that we're going to look at because, man, the reality is this probably everybody in this room is going to fit into one of these stories. And so for me, this was it. And I was doing the religious thing. We'd go to church some, do some of the verses. We even did the Sunday school thing knew some, some of the stuff, we could sing the songs. I mean, I, I mean, I knew hymns, you know what I'm saying? Like I knew, Amazing Grace has four verses and I knew all four of them. Like so I thought that I was in, I thought that I was doing good, I thought that I was fine. And for whatever reason, in that moment, what God did was interrupt my summer and made me realize that I had a desperate need. It wasn't to do stuff, it wasn't to know more verses, it wasn't to have the, the, the goldfish from VBS, but it was to have the Savior that all of that was centered around. And that's what we see take place here. That's what we see happen here in this first conversation as Paul just shares with her. I mean, she's a worshiper of God. But it says that the Lord opens up her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. And then look at what happens in verse 15. And after she was baptized. So she's baptized. Baptism doesn't save her. It just identifies her as belonging to, to Jesus. And she says this, and her household as well. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Okay, God has changed in her heart now. So she's there just worshiping God, but now she's identified who God is here, and she says, if you have found me to be faithful to the Lord, so now we've identified who this God is that she needs to be worshiping. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, that's who it is, whom she has made Lord and Savior of her life. It wasn't some random God that could do something for her, but it was, it was the only God that could do anything for her is who she identified here. And so she says, if you find me to be faithful, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So that's the first conversation that we see, this rich lady that deals in purple linen, uh, a seller of purple goods here. The first one to come to know Jesus Christ. The second conversation is this, as we continue in the story. Um, verse 16, it says this, it says, as we were going to the place of prayer. So now what we have is we've got Paul and some of his guys are heading back. Timothy, some of them are heading back to, uh, to that place, to the river, uh, where they started their evangelism there. And so they're there and look at what happens. It says that we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of deviation. And brought her owners much gain by future telling. So what we've got here is this is the complete opposite of, of, of Lydia, right? The complete opposite of Lydia. Lydia's down there kind of seeking God, trying to find God, thinks that she's worshiping God. And now, now you've got Paul and them heading back down to the river, back to worship, and, and they're met by this slave girl. And this slave girl, she has this spirit of deviation, and so she's a complete opposite. Someone seeking God to someone that wants absolutely nothing to do by God, with God, And so theologians say that she's probably in her mid-teens. And so what we see here in the scripture is that she has a a demon in her and she's possessed by a demon. And she's also a slave girl, which means that she's being held captive, not just in spiritual bondage, but also in physical bondage. And so what we know is this is she's busted up. I mean, she's got some issues. She's been taken advantage of. And so a woman in this setting as, as a slave is just a piece of property. So more than likely, she was used by men for their own pleasure. You see where we're going with this? You, you see, see her lifestyle? You see where she's at? Someone that you would look and view that would be far, far from God. Lydia kind of seeking, wanting to see what's happening. She, she thinks that she's worshiping, and in that, God invades her. And now you've got this slave girl that's possessed by a demon and owned by um, some men, complete opposite, and she's not on her way to a prayer meeting Paul and those guys are heading to the prayer meeting, but, but she has no desire to be there. And the reality is this, She couldn't go even if she wanted to go. Why? Because she's a slave. She's a slave. She's owned by men. She can't just go where she wants to when she wants to. And then, too, she has no interest of going. Why? Because she's possessed by a demon. And, and demons want nothing to do with God. They, they may act big and bad, and you may think, but, but they want absolutely nothing to do with God. And so that's where this girl's at. And look at what happens in verse 17 so she followed paul and us crying out these men are servants of the most high god who proclaim to you the way of salvation so what we see here she's kind of attracted to this faith all the while being opposed to it okay there's something going on there's something these are the ones these are the servants These are the servants. These are the ones of the most high God. And she's just running around and she's just screaming that and she's drawing attention and she's just saying that over and over and over and and letting letting the people know. So she's kind of attracted to it all the while being opposed to it, wanting nothing to do with it. So in that, God's doing something. And I believe this is the picture of where a lot of people have been. Where a lot of people have been in regards to the gospel, in regards to Jesus. There's just something about the message that draws Man, but they have this anger and mistrust that is just brewing within them for whatever reason, and maybe it's because they've been burnt by the church, or maybe because they've seen how Christians uh, live and do the opposite of what they proclaim, or, or maybe it's just they've, they've grown up in that environment that's just been venomous toward anything that belongs to God or anything of God, or maybe they've been hurt. I mean, there's tons of reasons how we can, uh, ways that we can be held captive to things in this world. And so you just see this mistrust. And look at what happens in verse 18. And, and this she kept doing for many days. So she just keeps going over and over. But that's them. They, here they come, the ones of the most high God. There they are. They just keep, she keeps doing this for many days, over and over and over. And then look at Paul's response, right? This is so Paul. He's, it says he's become greatly annoyed. Paul becomes greatly annoyed. And I don't know if you struggle with trusting the Bible or not, but this is what I absolutely love about the scriptures, is that it doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. I mean you've got one of the most godly men to ever walk the earth and what does it say it says that he gets a little he gets a little frustrated aggravated ticked in this moment he gets great it's not just annoyed but what kind of annoyed greatly annoyed that's that's how he is in this moment so what you see in the scriptures is complete honesty right it never tries to cover up it never tries to wax over what we know is Paul is ticked and he's aggravated and he's tired of it and what do we know about Paul when he gets tired of something Paul has no problem handling anything does he what we know about Paul, Paul will tell you real quick. And so look at what it says. And so this is what he turned and said to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and look at what happens. In that very hour, it comes out. In that moment, Paul says, come out of her, and what happens? That, that demon has to obey. obey Paul in the name and power of Jesus Christ. So how does this girl get saved? How does this girl come to know Jesus? Uh, paul performs an act of deliverance on her he throws out the demon which also what happens in that moment is he removes her as a circus act for her master so they can make money on her no more i mean she was possessed by this demon so there were things that she was doing that would draw attention that would allow her to the demonic possession type stuff that would allow her to to be able to to to, um, make money for these men that she was owned by and so when paul delivers her he delivers her so she's of no use for them anymore And we're going to see that here in a moment in the story. But Paul just calls it out. He breaks the bondage in the power of Jesus in this moment. That demonic possession here. She comes to know Christ. Let's look at the third conversation real fast. Verse 19. It says, but her owners saw that their hopes of gain was gone. And so they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the ruler. So they're upset now. Uh, their income is just left she she can't do any tricks anymore for us she can't do what we want she she's different now verse 20 says this this is and when they had brought them to the magistrates they said these men are jews and they are disturbing our city they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as romans to accept or practice verse 22 the crowd joined them in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments i mean look, look at the mob mentality there right I mean, can we just speak about that for a moment? I mean, we're all just looking for a good uh, somebody to jump on, aren't we? And that's what we see happen here, is that they advocate customs that's not lawful, and, and the Romans practice uh, those practices, and the crowd just joined in in attacking them. They probably didn't even know what they were attacking them for. I mean, there's a great lesson to learn there too, church. We need to find out, and we need to figure out what's going on, what's happening, and so the crowd just joins in and attacking them. The magistrates tear their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. So now, so now, that, now they're facing persecution. They're being beat with rods. Verse 23, when they had a, inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24 says, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with the stocks. So here we're introduced to the third person who the gospel is going to be shared with, the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer so, so we've seen the rich lady come to know Jesus now we've seen the slave girl uh, be uh, rescued from her demon possession and come to know Jesus and now what we're going to see is this this Philippian jailer is about to encounter the one and only true living God so who is this jailer see jailers were often highly decorated Roman soldiers so as a retirement gift what they were given were these jails to run to be over to to lead and to run and say so they, they were usually older so they were hardened, more likely a lot cynical. They'd been through a lot. They've seen a lot. They've experienced a lot. Their their royalty or their loyalty is to Rome. And so they're given this prison to run and to manage, kind of as a retirement gift, an easy, padded, cushy type type job. Have fun. Do whatever you see fit to the prisoners. We're not gonna check. We don't care. This is our gift to you. And so what happens is, is you see Paul, Silas, they're in the inner prisons, which are usually the lowest part of the building, dark, run-down, damp, nasty, all the fecal matter would run down to this particular area. It was just horrific. I mean, it's awful. And so when it says here that their feet are put in stocks, I mean, don't, don't think that they've got these cute little chains on them, chain gang kind of doing their little thing, sitting over in the corner, taking it. No, 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 that, that's, not, that's not the picture that needs to be painted. See, Roman stocks were, were chains that were suspended from the ceiling. And so you had these chains that were bolted into the ceiling as they came down just about right high. So they would have to lay on their back. And as they would lay on their back, they would stick their feet up. And as they would stick their feet up, they would chain them in, lock them in. And as horrific and awful as that position would be, that's not where it stops. And then what they would do is that they would take rods every so often for kicks and giggles. They would go over and they would beat the top of the feet with those rods. Nothing else to do, right? Why not? Got to entertain our time, pass our time. So these soldiers would do that. Maybe the one running the prison would do the same thing. Some of the most sensitive areas of your body just beat on as you're chained there and can do nothing, you're prisoner. And then look at What happens? Look at what happens in verse 25. It says, in about midnight, I mean, that's when I would want to be out cold. I'm just going to be honest. I would, I would I'm, God, take me now, do something. But not Paul and Silas. Look at what they're doing. They're praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns. And so we just be honest for a moment. And maybe you're further along in your journey than I am, but that's probably not my response. I mean, my dumb little thing don't work this morning, and I'm ready to fall apart they're in prison chained with their feet up probably been they've already been beaten once publicly now they're they've probably been beaten down there in prison by this this jailer and what do they do they pray and sing hymns to god what do they do in those moments they seek god uh, they're, they're going after God, and so I just I mean I just think what I would be doing, God, are you serious? I, again, I, I'm uh, sanctification, God is working on me and shaping me and molding me, and I just I mean just want to be honest this morning, and like I said, maybe you're further along than, than I am, and, and that's great. Uh, but what I think of in this story, I'm laying there for you, Jesus, and you decide and maybe you felt that, that this way a little bit this this week, out there doing something for the Lord in Tennessee, giving up your spring break, you know what I'm saying? And you're out there doing something and maybe something didn't work the way that you thought or maybe a conversation didn't go the way that you thought it would go. And maybe you got frustrated in that moment with God. Hear me, that's okay too. Allow God to use that. And so I can just imagine me in that moment laying there in prison for God, being beat upside down, fecal matter running. It's just horrible, horrible conditions. And and they begin to pray and sing. Like I know four verses of amazing grace, but if I could get through one, it would be by the grace of God. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just laying there in that moment wallowing in my pity is what I would be doing. But not them, what do they do? They seek God. And there's a great lesson to be learned there, is it not, church? And the difficulties and the struggles whenever you have this plan and this idea and it doesn't go the way that you think that it should go, God's still in control because look at what happens. And suddenly in verse 26, they're laying there praying, singing hymns, seeking God in this horrific moment and the prisoners are listening to them. So everybody else is in the prison are hearing what's going on, and look at what happens in 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. How does that happen? Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? And then look at what happens in verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So he's about ready to off himself, Because what you gotta know is in these days, if you lost a prisoner, you would pay for that prisoner with your own life. Great motivation not to lose anyone, isn't it? Great motivation to stay awake and to stay aware and to to make sure all your prisoners are accounted for. But look at what happens in verse 28. He's got sword drawn, ready to take his life. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we're all here. We're all here, don't don't do it. We're here, don't take your life. You don't need to take your life is what he yells out. And so the question I've got is, why is Paul still there? Is this man not crazy? I mean, he's already been beat with rods. He's been suspended from the ceiling. His feet be, He's been abused, laying in that horrific place. Why is he still there? I mean, he's innocent. He knows that he shouldn't be in prison. The walls are down. The chains are off. Wasn't this an act of God? Isn't this what happened over in Acts chapter 12, where Peter just walks out? he's there praying he's been uh, uh, imprisoned and he's praying and and an angel comes in and just sneaks him out he gets to a door the door just opens and he walks through and he goes back to the house john mark's house where his mother is the little girl remember he knocks at the door <laughs> hey guys uh, peter's back <laughs> whatever and she goes right in, leaves him with her. peter's back can't be he's got to be his angel or something all the while he's sitting at the door uh, hello I mean, isn't this one of those moments where Paul could just walk out and get away? I mean, he's praying, singing hymns. Everything opens up, chains come off. Same thing that happens to Peter. But Paul recognizes something. Paul's aware of something. See, Paul's heart was to reach people far from the gospel. Paul's heart was a tell of the love of Jesus Christ. Paul had received a vision earlier on in this chapter where God said, I need you to go to this place. I need you to share the gospel. Paul wasn't about cutting out. Paul wasn't about getting away. Paul recognized that this was part of God's plan to reach the believers or to reach the people there in Philippi. He prayed that God would use him to reach the people. So hear me, if part of God's plan is to reach Philippi and it was to put him in prison so he could suffer and reach the Philippian jailer, then you know what? For Paul, that was the price he was willing to pay me I'm not quite there yet Paul was so in tune with God that he knew that maybe the place the very place that he needed to be was the very place that the rest of us in this room would loathe and hate but for whatever reason God had him there for that purpose for that moment and Paul though I can imagine how horrific and nasty and no good it was he stands there with an opportunity to escape and be free the other option is to stay, even though the cost was great, so that maybe one person can come to know Jesus Christ. Because what Paul knows is it just starts with one. That, that's, how, that's how this discipleship thing, this is how that evangelism thing. So See, we think we've gotta get the masses. No, you, you start with one person, and you turn their heart to God, and then what happens is you allow them to go get another one person, and then that person gets another one. You, you see how this thing works? That's how mass growth happens. We don't need to get the masses. We just need to get one person on fire for Jesus, willing to do whatever it takes, be in whatever prison he needs to be in, be in whatever situation and circumstance he needs to be in that God has called him to while for the heart of reaching people. And that's what we see happen here in this moment, in this jail. The other option is to stay there. Not cost a man who probably, listen to this, who probably tortured him the night before his life. He stays there knowing that he could leave and that guy would life would be over and that guy had probably had a hand in torturing him there in the stocks but what does paul do he yells back i mean you you just, no hold up you, you don't need to do that we're here we're accounted for we haven't escaped we haven't went anywhere can you imagine what it would do to that guy I mean, I mean can you imagine how that would mess with him can you imagine how big of a deal that would be for the jailer i mean that man was probably just just got done abusing him not too long it's probably why he was, and this is speculation that's probably why he was over in the corner sleeping on his job Probably had a little fun with him, beating him a little bit, mistreating him, talking to him, uh, just, just, just uh, trash talking him, doing all those kinds of things. And so he's probably worn out from his difficult job of doing all that, all while they're over there praying and singing. And as they do that, God looses the bounds, maybe to wake the guy up for a moment. And you see, Paul's heart is to share the gospel with the man. He says, no, no, you don't, you don't need to do this. Can you imagine the impact it would have on the guy? Well, look. And so the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, now Let's get a picture of this for a moment. This is a retired uh, soldier in the Roman army. So this is a man who knew how to fight. This was a man who knew how to take care of himself. This, I mean, this was a big, probably burly man who wasn't afraid of nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I think of, of, of John Rambo here in this moment. I, I mean, I mean, just, just rushing, like, just, I mean, he knew what he was doing. But it says that he comes in and he falls down before Paul and Silas, trembling with fear hear me when God does something when God wakes somebody up that's usually the response that happens see God has gotten his attention now and then look at what it says in verse 30 then they brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved I mean God got a hold of this man this big cynical hard man is what he got a hold of and so as I read this as I thought about this maybe this was your story maybe this this was you Maybe you're kind of cynical. Maybe you're kind of turned off. Maybe you're kind of hardened to the things of the church. Maybe you've been burned by the church, hurt. But I don't know what the deal that, that has brought you to that place. But for whatever reason, God used someone in your life to love you like Jesus loved you. And in that, he just softened your heart and brought you to the place where you were just broken before the reality of the cross. I mean, the story that I heard this week of that lady that you got to serve at the homeless place and as you got to serve her and love on her and kind of get to know her through the week and she heard that you were going to the to the show to the to the easter production and as as you find out that there's a need in her life what did you You loved her like jesus that's what you did you, you found any way possible to get her to that show and then what did god do at that show he saved her he rescued her from herself is what he did But imagine if you'd be like, well, it would have been too much work. We're going to have to make contacts or we're going to have to pull some money together. We're going to have to figure out a way. Imagine if that would have been your, well, we're tired. It's been a long week. Why would I want to do that? She can get there sometime else later in the week or the the month or however. But no, 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 no. God allowed you to love her like Jesus loves her. And so maybe that's your story this morning. I mean, I I can think of, of other stories of people even in this church that have loved people like Jesus. And in that has broken down the walls and the barriers, the relationship that they got to have. And you know what? They didn't come to church at first. They didn't come to know Jesus right off. but what they did was they built relationship enough to get to that point where they earned fellowship and they earned trust, And then as they had opportunity, they got to share and share a little bit of Jesus. And that's what we see here. I mean, this man just mistreated them. I mean, when was the last time somebody beat you and what you did was love them like Jesus loved them. You know what I'm saying? When was the last time somebody said something so bad about you, but you know how you responded? Not get even, not retaliation, but the way that you responded is the way that Jesus would respond, and you loved them and prayed for them. Oh, no, 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 man, I, I don't, I don't want to get even. I don't need to get even. God's got my back. He has put me in this abuse of whatever for whatever reason. He has put me in this situation or in this jail or in this prison or in this hell for whatever reason for however long while so that I can, be an, I can be a light in the dark so I can love like Jesus loves like we see Paul do right here. I mean, Paul could get even in him. He could walk out. That man's life is good as gone. But he stays. Why? Because he has a heart to reach people. Church, that needs to be us. Oh, that needs to be us. Look at what happens. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. He, says, he brought them in and says, hey, what, what do I need to do to be saved in verse 30? And then he says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So how are you saved? You believe. That's how you saved. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, the redemptive work of the cross. That's what you do. You believe in who Jesus Christ is, not in a person, but in in the reality of of who he is and what he has done. Not not just, uh, when I say you believe in the person of Jesus, but you don't just believe in the historical person of Jesus. You believe in Jesus Christ as the living son of God. That's what you believe in. And then by that, you, you put all of your faith and trust in who he is and what he has done for you. And when that happens, you'll start to tell people. When that happens, you'll start to share. And look at what happens in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house and he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds you want to know how that man was saved you want to know how you can tell that that man come to know jesus because the same man that was beating them when they were upside down the same man that was mocking them and making fun of them was the same man that was washing their wounds and taking care of them and healing them up you talking about life change you talking about heart change This hard, cynical Roman soldier who had been given his retirement to run this prison is the one washing their wounds and taking care of them. And then look at what else it says, and he was baptized at once. So he believes, and now he he walks out his first act of obedience in the Lord, and that's being baptized. That's what he does. He's like, well, but he's like, I I need to take care of what I've wronged. That's how you know you've got the heart of God in you. And that's exactly what he does. I, mean, I I need to take care and I need to make right whatever. So he washes their wounds and takes care of them. And it's gonna even get better here in a moment. But before, before we get to, I need to be baptized. I, I want the whole world to see and know. It says he and all of his family. And then he brought them into his house. The man is bringing them into his house now. He gets them out of prison, brings them into his house. And look at what he does. He sets food before them. The very man that was beating them, that was mistreating them is now washing them, taking care of them and feeding them and he rejoiced all along his entire household that he had believed in God. I mean, is that not phenomenal, the life change? How did that man come to know Jesus just because Paul and Silas were obedient to where God had them in that moment, even though it was horrific and difficult and nasty and no good? They were still so in tune with God and paid so much attention to God that they didn't didn't care that they were in the inner prison where all the muck and yuck was at, they didn't care that they were chained to the ceiling. They didn't care that they'd been beaten. Well, because there's a man that's beating them that doesn't know Jesus, that needs to know Jesus. So who's beating you right now that needs to know Jesus? How can you love like Christ would love? I mean, I, I could just imagine as, as Paul was there in Philippi and as he was sharing the gospel, going to the river, going to the different places, living his life out, as he was doing it, I could just imagine all the people that come to know Jesus in his time there at Philippi. I mean, Philippi was a special place for Paul. The the letter of um, uh, Philippians there in the Bible, Uh, you you can read that letter and you can see that Paul has this desire and love. That's what we're walking through on Wednesday nights. You can see that he has this love and desire for the people there at Philippi, man, that they held a special place, that they bring joy to his life because of their relationship with Christ and what they've done for him. And so I can imagine, man, he had great relationships. So why these three people, why these stories? And I believe the reason why God wanted these stories, Paul to pin these stories for us, for Luke to record these stories for us, was because I believe God wants to see that the gospel's for everybody, that the gospel's for anybody. I mean, you got three different kinds of people here in this story. You've got a rich uh, religious woman who doesn't know Jesus. You've got a slave girl, like, like, like a demon-possessed slave girl and owned by a people slave girl. And then you've got this Philippian jailer. And so what we see here is that there's no type for becoming a Christian, there is no specific, there is nobody too far the to reach of the gospel of the cross. There's nobody too far gone that cannot be rescued and redeemed by the love of Jesus Christ. That's what this shows us. What we know in the scriptures is that there's only one creator, one God. And we know that there's this all this mankind that there's comprised of many different people, rich, poor, black, white, young, old, conserv- conservative, liberal, religious, irreligious, from good families, from broken families. And what we know to be true about every single one on the list is simply this, is that they've got a sin issue. What we know about the people in these stories is that they've got a sin issue and that there's only one hope for salvation and that hope is Jesus Christ. That he is the only hope, the only way. And because of that church, what we see is that there's this place that is is formed for people of vastly different types to be able to find unity in Christ that they would normally not find unity in Jesus or they would not be able to find unity in anything. There's this safe place of rescue and redemption, this safe place of of harmony, this safe place of of gospel living. So as I read this story, I mean, I just think about us. I mean, we're comprised of a ton of different people, different colors, different backgrounds, different makeups, different um, uh, where we've come from young, old, I mean, all the demographics are there. I mean, this, is this not just a picture of us? Some of us come, uh, come this morning with a hard heart. Some of us come come just like me, being the religious kid, doing the right things, knowing how to sing the songs, knowing all four verses of whatever the hymn is, wanting all of that stuff, knowing the few verses, all the while not knowing Jesus. I mean, we're, we're made up of the same same makeup. I mean, think about this. This is, this is who Paul uses to plant the church at Philippi. I mean, you think about busted up, jacked up, messed up places, people, and that's who, that's who the gospel goes after, is it not? That's who Jesus goes after, is it not? Not the ones that have it all together, not the ones that don't think that they have need, no, no. He goes after the ones that know that there's something greater, that knows that there's need, and that's what we see take place here. That's what I know of our church, of us as the people of God in this room. We all have issues and struggles. And what I know is this, is that for whatever reason, God in his grace and his goodness showed up in our life, in those struggles, in those difficulties, in those mess ups, whatever they are, to show us that there is a better way and he is the better way. So man, what you see is the church born here in Philippi. And God uses three people that you wouldn't necessarily think that he would use to plant and start the church. I mean, think about it for a moment. You can't use women in church. Only to look after the kids, right? I mean, is that not the reality? I mean, the reality, that's how we treat women. And and what does God, God goes after her. And God uses her in a mighty way to be, uh, uh, to play a huge role. So hear me, women, we need you. Uh, Young young people, we need, what you did this week, setting the example for us, setting the bar for us, sharing Jesus with those that we would normally not talk to or want to be around. I mean, I've heard of the things that you did, the conversations that you had, I think one of the comments I was talking to somebody one of the comments was there was a lot of stink going on and it wasn't from the middle school boys on the trip it was to the people that you were ministering to and you sat down with them and you had conversation you shared the story of Jesus you loved them where they were at to the point of where you, were helped, you helped this homeless woman get to the place of where she could find who Jesus Christ was and in that God saves her We need young, we need old, we need women, we need men, we need, that's what this shows us is that the gospel is all-inclusive for everybody, everywhere, man, woman, demon-possessed, not demon-possessed, hard-hearted, not hard, that God wants to save and rescue all of mankind. And church, it's our responsibility to take that gospel, to take that message to the nations. No matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter what kind of persecution comes with it, that's the call on our life, is to take the message of Jesus to those that nobody else wants to. That's what we're called to do. And so what we see in this story is it continues and it finishes out. Paul and Silas, they get released uh, the next day. But they would not leave. They wouldn't come out of the prison, and so uh, they've been publicly uh, beaten and and um, humiliated. And so they were Roman citizens, and so that was illegal for that to happen to them. And so the magistrates were afraid and when they heard that they were Roman citizens, and so they're a little amped up and shaken. And so they end up coming and apologizing and just asking them to leave the, the city. And so they leave the city, but what they do is they go back and they visit Lydia. And then they had seen some of the other brothers and they encouraged them and then after a while they end up departing. That's how this story ends. And Paul establishes the church there in Philippi. One that was, that God used in a mighty, mighty way to reach men and women far from God for the cause of the gospel. And so what we see is this, is the gospel being proclaimed is what God uses to set people free from sin. Their need for Jesus see guys we have an awesome awesome privilege and great responsibility of telling this lost world about jesus every single one of us i don't care how old or how young or how uh, well versed in it or how unwell versed you are i mean imagine how these three types of people are represented in your life your story your context maybe your neighbor maybe your job your school your kids team your family your local uh, store that you shop at your your hobbies and that list could go on and on and on the people that you're around imagine how they're represented the first person, I, I, kind of, I kind of refer to them as the C&E crowd, the, Christ, uh, the Christmas and Easter crowd, kind of the, the blue mooners, or, or maybe the ones that have always been here but have no fruit or desire to be obedient to Jesus. The ones that maybe just go through the motion or maybe the ones that don't want really a whole lot to do but they'll kind of come check it out every once in a while. I, I mean, imagine that. We, we all know people like that. And maybe you're here this morning and that's you. Maybe you've, you've done all the stuff, you've, you've heard all the stories, you can even quote some of the verses, but maybe you've never in your life come to the reality that you need Jesus Christ as your savior. So maybe you're like Lydia this morning, coming to all the religious gathering and all the religious stuff, but you don't have a religious heartbeat. Know a lot about Jesus, but don't know Jesus personally. And so maybe that's your story this morning, or maybe that was your story, or maybe you're like the second person, maybe you're sitting here this morning in that position as well held captive by the world everything that this world has to offer that's what you chase after that's what you want that's what you long for the bigger the better the bright new shiny whatever maybe that's you or maybe you know someone like that and so how how do you share the gospel you tell them the truth you tell them the truth you let them know who jesus is or maybe it's the third person maybe you're, you you were the skeptic or the cynical type or maybe maybe you know somebody that's skeptical or or the cynical type and so what do you do you, you just tell them you love them like Jesus. you do what paul did let him abuse you let him ask the questions that you don't know the answers to let him make you look like a fool but what you do is you continue to love jesus and live him out all the while studying and praying and seeking for answers and asking god to give you that opportunity And they may use you and abuse you mentally when it comes to knowing the scriptures or knowing some stuff about the Bible. But one thing that they can't, one thing that they can't do is break your your willpower for sharing the gospel with them and loving them like Jesus Maybe that's your, maybe you're here this morning and you're skeptical and you're cynical. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe you know people like that. I would encourage you, man, get them here for Easter. Give, give an opportunity. We're, we're going to talk about the empty tomb. We're going to talk about the borrowed tomb. I mean, do whatever you can to get them to Jesus. Whatever you can, because what we know simply is that's the heart of evangelism. Get the gospel before them. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's not one person in this room that's ever saved anybody. You don't have that kind of power. Don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. You can't do it. One of the hardest lessons that I had to learn early on in ministry is I would get so frustrated after what I thought I nailed it. And that was a great gospel presentation. See how God kind of works on pride there too? Mm. And I can remember whenever I would bomb it and for whatever reason, like I felt like I bombed it, God would just rescue everybody. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like that wasn't even good. And you know what God told me? He's like, don't you tell me what's good and what's not good when it comes to the gospel. Brother Miller, everything's good when it's talking about me. And so he reminded me greatly that it's not about how well or how unwell it is. or it's, it's all about Jesus being lifted high and then us living that out in action. That's what it's about. You showing them what Jesus looks like physically. And that's what we see happen in this story. So that's what we're called to do. Evangelism, tell people about Jesus. Engage in conversation. Well, I'm uncomfortable. Yes, it gets uncomfortable. Were you guys uncomfortable this week? Show of hands. All right, good. Because if you, if you wasn't, then there was a problem. Who else was uncomfortable this week? Who else shared Jesus with somebody and it made them uncomfortable? It should make you uncomfortable. Why? Because the world hates us. The world hates what we stand for. The world can't stand Jesus. I mean, how uncomfortable do you think it was being in prison? How unco- when was the last time you talked to a demon-possessed little girl? And if you have kids, don't answer that question. But yes, sharing the gospel is uncomfortable. Yes, having conversation geared around Jesus becomes very awkward and uncomfortable very quick. We'll talk about anything and everything, but the moment you talk about Jesus, it gets very awkward and very difficult. I'm I'm a pastor and been at it for 15 years, and it's the same way for me. It It doesn't get easier. But what I know is this, is that in that moment when I lift the name of Jesus, it's him that does something amazing, not me. It's him that allows seeds to be planted. It's him that allows uh, uh, conversations and little things to take place. It's gonna bring glory and honor to him. And do you know what? It's not my responsibility to save him. It's my responsibility to tell them about the one who can save him. And in that, I'm just called to sow seed, man. God is the one who decides whenever to sprout that. God is the one that decides whenever to save that. It's God that does that. And I've heard, and I don't know how true this is, but I've heard that it usually takes seven times of witnessing to somebody before they come to know Jesus. So whether I'm one or I'm six or I get the privilege and honor of being seven or whatever number it takes, it doesn't matter because we are called church to have the heart that Paul has here that whatever it takes to go share Jesus with them. I wanna close with the story as the band comes up. This, and I know it gets kind of scary and I know it gets kind of hard and difficult of, of sharing the gospel, but this is what it was like. Like I have wore this bracelet um, for probably, we've been married 12 years and I was wearing it before then. I've probably wore, not, not this one, like I change them because they get nasty, but, but like I've wore this goofy WWJD bracelet for probably about 20 years of my life. 20 years, why? Because what it does is it helps drum up conversation let me tell you how goofy i was one time one time uh, they make him in like like the rainbow color because each color means something like red is sin or black is it like they make and i wore it like that and i was going to a gym one time and there was this guy and i had my buddy with me and we were at the front and i didn't think that he knew jesus and so what i did was like hey what do you think of my bracelet and it was a little weird because it was like a it was like the rainbow and i didn't want him to think like something that it wasn't and i said well let me tell you about it i said you see that black and i don't think there's black in the rainbow there shouldn't be um i said you see you see the black there so you know what that means and I got to share the gospel with this guy and he probably thought that I was the goofiest dumbest person in the world but all I know is this is I had a great opportunity just to share the gospel what I know about the guy is this is he didn't get saved that day but what I know about the gentleman now is that he is involved in church that God has rescued him and saved him from his sin and so whether I get to I get to reap the fruit or the harvest of that or somebody else does does it matter it's all about sharing the gospel and letting people know about Jesus. And hear me, church, we have got to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to be willing, be willing to be put in prison, abused, mistreated, whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. Just telling somebody about what Jesus has done, telling them that he saves, telling them uh, he uses us as a messenger. And what I know is this, is a God's just looking for somebody to be willing, somebody to be ready. And That's what we see happen here as Paul engages three different people with three types of conversation. And that's all we have to do. When we leave this place, we get to go talk to people and share Jesus with them. God will do the rest if we're just willing to be used. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. Maybe you're one of those type of people that we talked about this morning. and I just want to encourage you that there is no greater place to come to know Jesus than here right now in this moment if he's stern in your heart and making you realize, I don't care how religious you think you are, how well you think you know him, if you don't know him, don't leave this place not knowing Jesus as your savior. Or mean, if you're hard heart towards some things right now, but for whatever reason, you just keep coming back. Oh man, don't leave this place without knowing Jesus. Or if you're a skeptic and you're cynical, man, I would love to sit down and engage you with conversation. There's nothing off the table, nothing. Any conversation that we can, my answer may be, I don't know. We'll have to get back with you on that. I mean, I, we just want to love you and share Jesus with you. That's what we want to do at all costs. That's what Paul's about. That's what we've got to be about as a church. So I don't know where you're at or what God's stirring in your heart, but I just want to ask you to be obedient to whatever he's called you to this morning. God, help us in this place to hear your word, hear your gospel. God, you are for us. You love us. So God, maybe there's some in difficult places right now doing this, engaging in this, living this out. So God, I pray you would encourage them and just... God, just give them the strength to keep on. God, if there's someone here that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you save them, show them, help them see and realize that they need you. God, thank you for your story of the church here at Philippi. God, thank you for the type of people that you go after because God, the reality is this: every single one of us in this room fits into one of those categories this morning. And so God, we thank you that you've awakened us to the reality of our need for you. Jesus, move in this place and we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask if you'd stand.